Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. Hi, Rachel. What's going on? Not much. I'm excited. What you got for me today? So I got two things to talk to you about. The first one is um, sort of exciting news that happened to me recently. So in our neck of the woods, we had the first day of school. Everyone went back to in-person learning. And um, I don't know if you saw this on my uh, social media posts, but um, I had an exciting event on the first day of school. So as you know, my wife is a new assistant principal uh, in an elementary school. And that elementary school has a mascot called the Labradors, right? And so I got to be the shadow the Labrador on the first day of school, the the, the school mascot, you know, like I went into school early and I uh, stripped down to a t-shirt and shorts and I put on the mascot outfit and put on this giant dog head, you know, and um, and then I went out into the 90 degree sun of Virginia and uh, sweated. Um, you would not want to have liked to see me afterwards, Rachel. I was completely drenched. My face was just covered. I was wearing a mask underneath the, the dog mask and that was just all a mess. Um, but it was awesome. It was so awesome to be out there, kids coming up and I love you, Shadow. And I would do the elbow bump rather than like, because it was kind of disgusting. Like you think about it, like slapping high fives over and over and over again on this, like this, this furry outfit. Like, why did we ever do that? <laughs> this furry, sweaty outfit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and kid after kid touching it, you know, and then touching their faces. Like, of course. So I did elbow bumps. And, um, and they, like I said, they a bunch came up and gave hugs. Um, and they were just so excited. We love you, Shadow. Oh, it's so much fun. First day of school. And then parents were coming up and they're like, can we get a picture? And then the PTA was like, don't go away, Shadow. We need your PTA. It was so great. It was so great. If you've ever heard me talk doing uh, like presentations on AAC, I always embed this a little bit of knowledge about like the SLP should be the one that is like getting everyone talking, should be the one that is doing the sort of the crazy zany things because that's what people talk about is the crazy zany things. And kids, when they see someone dressed up in any sort of outfit, one, they could be scared, but the vast majority of them were engaged in some way, you know, and language just comes spilling out like, can we get your picture and we love you? And oh, look, it's a giant dog. And oh, my gosh, look how fun that is. And it's so big. And it's so in this case, it was a black lab. So look at the black lab and look what he's wearing. And oh, he's waving and look, he's dancing and language just comes spilling out because you dress up in this outfit. And it was just so cool. And so I just love the um, the beginning of the day, beginning of the school year energy is always something that is um fun at any school anywhere anytime that first day is exciting but i got to participate as um as this mascot which is also rachel it's like a lifelong dream of i mean i don't know we never shared this never shared this with you but i've always wanted to do that because i've i dress up in my own outfits like there's if again if you're looking at my presentations i have slides of me dressed up as a robot and a bumblebee and and stitch from um from disney stitch you know that alien and all that and there's all sorts of costumes that I've worn over the years, but I haven't done that in a while. So it was great to scratch that itch and it was great to get out there and uh, engage with the students. I already knew that. You never disclosed that to me. That was a lifelong dream, but I already knew that about you, Chris. <laughs> as soon as you started talking about this, I was like, he's literally like fulfilling a lifelong dream of being a mascot. <laughs> that totally does not surprise me. Also sounds really fun. Um, it's really exciting when you can just get re kids really engaged and people in general. Um, it also probably feels like so fun to 
have seen that mascot and to then be like, ah, oh, like I get a chance to like walk around and dress up and get people talking and take photos and it's so fun. So I'm super excited for you. Yeah, it was great. I told my wife, uh, and of course, I know the principal at the school, and I was like, anytime. You're like, you know, you need back to school night. You need some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of assembly is happening. Whatever you need. Do you need me to show up and do a video? Like, get, I'm, I'm Shadow. I, from now on, I'm Shadow. Um, just let me know. Put me in, coach. I will, um, I'll do any tricks that you need me to as a dog. I'll jump through any hoops. I just completely loved it. But there's something else I need to talk to you about, Rachel. Okay, so that, that's the fun news. Now I need your coaching uh, part, okay? So I'm switching gears here a little bit. I had an experience recently, and as I was having it, I was thinking, oh, Rachel would, Rachel would be disappointed in me. Let me put it that way. That's what I was thinking. Rachel would be disappointed in me. Really? Well, yeah. So, so let me explain. I feel like this is something that a lot of people listening to this podcast might, um, and, our, and our AAC users that listen to the podcast might... Uh, I don't know. They might they might feel a kinship to what I'm about to say here right now. So recently I was approached by a company and they wanted my feedback on their product. Okay. And it had to do with AAC. I had to sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So I can't talk any more about that other than that this company approached me. We'd like to check out this tool that we're putting together and we want your feedback. And then they asked me like, what do you want in exchange for that? Like, what's the compensation for that? This is where I need to learn from you because me working for a public school, um, eh, I don't know what to do in these situations. It's not first nature for me to to say what I probably should say because I was like, I don't know. Let me just check it out, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll figure ah we'll figure it out, you know. And they're like, maybe you could uh, have a copy of the product afterwards. And um, I was like, sure, that sounds great. And then it turned into hours. When I say hours, like mm, let's say I probably put six to eight hours worth of time evaluating, giving feedback, because one, I recognize the potential in the tool. Like if it, if it immediately I started looking at it and it was like, oh, I'm out, then I wouldn't have spent the time. But I saw this, there was some potential here. And so I, you know, that meant I started writing things up and I knew I was going to have a, a meeting with this company to, uh, and representatives from this company to talk about this, this tool and give feedback on it and what they could do to be better. And so that was another, you know, it was multiple hours of time. So Long story short, what should I do differently? And they even gave me an out, Rachel. Here's the thing. After the meeting, after it was all over, there was like, so Chris, what do you want for exchange for this? And I still was like, I don't know what to say. Like, um, like on one hand, like this just sort of helps the world, right? And this is why I'm sort of analogizing this to our AAC users where we say, just volunteer your time. Can we volunteer? I'm sure people go to AAC users and say, can you volunteer your time and teach us more about AAC? And on one hand, you feel this pull like, yes, it's a good thing. I need to help the world and I need to put some good in the world. But on the other hand, you need to be compensated for your time. I did talk to my wife about it and she's like, you did what? For free? For what? You know? And I was like, I I know, but I don't... Again, I, I've been saying it a lot lately, but it's a muscle that I don't flex that often. And so it's a weak spot for me and I, I don't know a better way to approach it. So like I said... Rachel will know what to do. She would. She's. She would totally be have better advice for me. Hence, me asking you. I'm a. I'm a shark. <laughs> I'm a shark, Chris. People don't know that about me, but. <laughs> but here, okay. Let's let's unpack this a little bit. The first question I want to ask um, that I think maybe will give some insight is, what about this made you feel unsure about asking for compensation? So, like, is there anything underlying? this interaction 
because I think that that's a huge component to this. So I want, before I give ideas or say anything else, like, is there anything beneath the surface of this that is at your, like on your mind? Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) that's a great question. And what a great, I knew I came to the right person, Rachel. So, okay. If this company puts out this tool, right? I mean, they, they go forward with it and Let's say this company has put a lot of time and investment into it. They, it was like I said, it, I was impressed with what they had put together. So, and which made me want to um, give feedback and make it even better, right? So, I'd be nervous that it would go out without the right input and feedback. And then, like, if I could have done something to help the world and I didn't do that, if I could have done that much better, if I mean, if I could have helped the product become better and then it comes out of the gate better and that helps even more people and it has this expansive, it's it's sort of the same way with the podcast. Why do we do this podcast? It's not like we, um, it's not like we're doing it for the money, right? We're trying to put some good into the world. That's what it felt like. So, I mean, a short answer might be like ego. I don't want it to go out without like the Chris Bougay stamp of approval. But the real authentic answer there is I wanted to help help make it better, you know? Okay. So I think that's important to know. Some other reasons that people might feel uncomfortable with asking to be compensated or having that conversation is people don't like to talk about money. People feel scared and nervous and uncomfortable talking about money. And so we end up signing up for things that we should be compensated for. We do them for less money or no money because we have a, a, it's a mindset issue, right? And so I think that part of it is like thinking about if we have those blocks and, you know, I'll share about myself. Like I had those blocks initially, like, you know, it's not like I was like out the gate, like compensate me for my time. But the reality is, especially because I'm in private practice. So my business, if I don't make enough money, I literally can't do what I do. Mm -hmm. If I don't make enough money, you know, I can't do the podcast. Like I can't do the speaking engagements. I literally can't do it because I can't sustain. Mm -hmm. And there's costs associated with business, right? And so I think part of it is like, we forget the cost on our end that we need to be compensated for. And it's not always a financial cost, right? I mean, sometimes it is a financial cost, but right now we're kind of talking about your time. But like your time is is a cost, right? Like you had to spend whatever, eight hours making this tool better. Um, So I think that's part of it is having this, really getting real with yourself about like, what is my block here? Like, am I afraid to have the conversation? Do I feel like I'm not worth, you know, this amount of money or any money at all? Do I feel like I just wanna help and that's kind of what I'm leading with, which, you know, to be clear, it's okay if you do things for free. We do a podcast for basically for free. <laughs> Every week we show up, right? But, you know, you need to be careful because you can get into a situation where all of a sudden now like you're doing all these things for free. And that company, someone talked to you like, "Oh my god, Chris helped with this company." And then another company reaches out and then all of a sudden you're in the situation where all these people are asking you to do things for either free or not enough compensation. And so I think that that's something to kind of think about. When I'm making any type of business decision about like, because you're probably thinking like, okay, maybe I should be compensated, but like how much? Like, how do I figure that out? So there's a few questions that I ask myself and the company to figure out what price it is. And it's different. So the first question I ask is, is the work that I'm doing going to make someone else money? So it's a company. They're like in the business of helping, yeah, but they're also in the business of making money, right? It's not a nonprofit. It's not like a grant funded. So like getting to the the bottom of like, 
who am I working with right now? Am I working with a startup or am I working with a well-established company that has a huge budget? Like those are considerations to think about. You know, what is the work I'm going to be doing? What's the impact it's going to have? That is another just to think about, you know, if there's exposure, right? Like, so if you, you know, as Chris Bouguet are attached to this amazing company that comes out with this cool tool that like is helping change the lives of everyone, like there's exposure to that, which then can lead to you know, more speaking engagements or, you know, whatever other things down the line. So it's not always an immediate financial gain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that those are things to think about. And then the biggest one is what do I feel like my time is worth in this situation? Given all of the other extraneous things, like all of the other factors, I kind of look, I, I think to myself, what is this worth to me? And of course, like, I think part of it is knowing how much time commitment, right? So like, so kind of doing an assessment, like, what do I think this is going to be? Uh, and perhaps building into like iterations, like either doing hourly or, you know, um, you know, circling back. Once you started looking into it, this is going to take a lot more time. Like we need to revise what, you know, whatever I said in the beginning. But I feel like the biggest question, though, is like, what is it worth to me? And that can be dependent on like it's fall, it's conference season, I'm busy. (laughs) Like, you know, I can't do this right now. I don't have bandwidth right now. Maybe if you hit me like the beginning of the summer when my free time was, you know, all over the place, I had so much free time, I didn't know what to do with it. Maybe I would do it for less. But now it's like, you want me right now? Like right now I'm really busy. Um, So it's like, I think that people feel like I need to have this like a set price. And I think even with presentations, like set price for presenting, a set price for this. And I don't think it has to be that that uh, rigid. I think it could be more flexible because there's so many different factors you have to think about. That is all great stuff. It's all stuff, um, too, that I know intuitively, but I don't always um, act on it. Do you know what I mean? Like, So like, if you look at my history, I, I also sort of took the freemium model way of you know having a podcast, doing stuff for free, starting to say, no, I need to be compensated for this, not knowing exactly when... Um, to start charging and how much, you know, and it's all sort of tenuous um, to the point where I, more than ever, I say, no, I'm sorry, I, I need to I need to get paid to do this and I need to get paid this much to do this or uh, I can't fit it in. So I'm just not doing it at all. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's being consistent about. So internally for myself, it's being consistent about that because I'm sort of uh, every once in a while I, I'm inconsistent about it, you know, like I probably should have asked this company for some sort of compensation more than, than, you know, um, than what I did. Um, and the other point that really stuck out to me, we've discussed it on the podcast before it's advice we've given to speech therapists is, uh, school-based speech therapists where people often will not consider their time. You know, we've made that analogy with AAC devices. Oh, we can't afford a thousand dollar AAC device, but we can certainly afford, uh, giving them 30 to 60 more minutes of speech therapy. Well, because that's, and I'm putting in air quotes here, free, but it's not free, right? Your time is not free. Just sometimes I forget it myself. Do you know what I mean? And uh, especially when it's something like this, where presentations happen much more frequently for me. So it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a, conversation I'm familiar with having, you know, giving feedback to a to a company on a tool. Yes, that's happened in my career a handful of times, but it doesn't happen as frequently. You know, there's just not as many people producing things in our sphere, you know, um, uh, that that need this feedback. So for me, it was it was a little bit less of a, a norm, you know, it makes a lot of sense too, based on like, 
it doesn't need to be one static price, you know, based on time of year, based on what else you have going on. If people really want the feedback, if, if we know, they know they're going to make money off of it, then um, that's that's all really good feedback that uh, I will make sure I remember and factor in and fight through maybe that little uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, no, that sets it up. I, that's another thing I was thinking about, too. Like, that sets it up for all the other people they ask. Like, well, so-and-so didn't charge anything. Well, that's that's making it worse for everybody else. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I feel like that's a really important point here because I think that you know, we talk about it kind of in the private practice world. We all need to kind of charge the same amount, right? Like we all kind of have this like base rate for private pay speech therapy. And the moment someone comes in and it's like, oh, I'm going to charge half that. All of a sudden it's like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like we have a, we have a system here. Um, and I think that that's kind of uh, important. It's also important for companies Companies, especially for profit companies, need to understand that they need to pay for expertise that will make their tool more successful, aka they'll sell more products. So that's something that I always think about. Um, you know, it's very different than like working for a nonprofit who's like, you know, doesn't have a budget. Um, and so another piece of advice is ask, what is your budget for this? So it's like a really simple thing to say. It puts it on them. They could be like, Oh, we have a $5,000 budget for, you know, this. <laughs> and if you were going to charge $100, like, oh, oh my God, like, you know, and so, and they could come back at you and say, like, we're not really sure what you're thinking, but it's this, it's this game of cat and mouse, right? Whenever you're doing contract negotiations, when it has to do with money, uh, my dad always says the person who says a member first loses. Um, so really trying to take it off of you and put it on someone else um, as the starting off point. And so, you know, it's it's a good practice to get into is just saying like, you know, what do you what's your budget for this? Um, what that says is I'm not doing this for free and you need to tell me what your budget is so that I can figure out what makes sense. Um, and it doesn't always sometimes, too, I'll I'll take I'll have a call with a company or, you know, whatever. And I will say, let me think about it. Right. Like you don't have to make a decision on the spot. Like it doesn't have to be like on the spot contract negotiations. Like, OK, I hear you have a budget of a thousand dollars. Like, let me like think about it. Think about how much time it's going to take. And I'll circle back to you and, you know, see what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's all good advice from in the future. I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast. I'm going to be like, OK, uh, Rachel gave me some great strategies here. What were they again? And I'm going to listen listen back to this one. I'm going to mark it down. I'm going to bookmark it, put it in my Google Keep as, uh, as, a, as one to come back to the next time this happens. And if this company happens to be listening and wants to negotiate <laughs> further, <laughs> then, um, then uh, I'm, 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 I'm all ears. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is like, I think that sometimes we just forget our, our value and our worth. And we need to just really prioritize our time. And I'm totally fine with people saying no, like, great. <laughs> like, I don't, that's one less thing on my to-do list, you know? And if I were to be disappointed, if they said no, then maybe I, I would have, you know, set a, a lower number or I would have done it for free. So that's where it's like, you really need to check in with yourself. Like, what is it worth to me? this project, this exact thing, you know, if they said no, I'd be disappointed. Also, if they say no, you can always come back with a lower number. <laughs> it's a, it's a negotiation, right? Like people like are like, Oh no, like, you know, it's always negotiable. <laughs> so you could even say like, sure, maybe I'll do it pro bono or I'll do half of it, or I'll give you an hour of my time. Or there's so many different things to think about. It's all negotiable. It's all flexible. 
Um, so think about like all of those factors when you're kind of making a decision and, and that way you protect your time, um, which is the most important thing that we have because I could do a billion free projects and maybe I could do them, but that means I'm not doing them well and I'm not happy doing them, you know? So it's like those things really matter and making sure that we prioritize them so that we do have enough bandwidth to show up as our awesome, amazing selves to these projects. That's important too. All right. Well, next time I will. All great advice. Thank you so much, Rachel. I, I knew I came to the right person. I've been thinking about it since I did. I was like, oh, I should have talked to Rachel about this first. Do you know what I mean? I know. Next I'm time. always happy. I'm always happy to, to give you a little pep talk. And to be fair, I need these pep talks myself too. So like I can sit here all day long and be like, no, you're worth like charge what you think is fair, like all these things. But sometimes I get like a little intimidated and I'm like, oh, maybe I charge too much. Like I'm not really sure. But at the end of the day, I feel pretty confident and like knowing that if someone says no, then it's okay. Like, that's fine. I'll move on. Um, and if people or companies perceive value, like they will pay. Um, and so part of it is just like, perhaps you have to do a little bit of sell on the upfront, right? Like, so if I'm trying to sell a speaking engagement, I'm like, here are all my great ideas. If I'm trying to like do a business contract, like for business consulting, here are all the potentials I see, right? Like give a little taste. And then it's like, well, if you want more, then it's going to cost you. <laughs> yeah, I have found that strategy to work really well for me. Like, here's some of my previous presentations, or here's an example of something we could do. And that little teaser uh, makes a lot of sense. In a way, I think of it like uh, hiring a contractor to come into your house or your apartment or something and do some sort of thing. That stuff is free, right? Come in and do an estimate of what you think it would be to paint the, the living room. This is what I think it would cost. They come and do that part for free. That's sort of what I do for free, too. It's like, well, I'll give you a little taste of what it could be, and then you want to hire me for a presentation that I feel very, very comfortable with because it happens so frequently. Do you know what I mean? And I've over the years, meaning I've had uh, experience with that is a better way to put it. This happens less frequently, but um, I should think of it as the same. Do you know what I mean? It's just my time. It's just my time. Yeah. Cool. All right. So Rachel, what do we got as far as uh, interview today? We don't have an interview today, Chris. It's part three of our Closing the Gap Talking with Tech Live, um, which by the way, you guys, we're doing a Patreon Talking with Tech Live on October 27th. So if you have not joined our Patreon, now is a perfect time to sign up. It's patreon.com backslash Talking with Tech. Um, and I'm really excited because these Talking with Tech Lives are so fun. They're so interactive. They're so engaging. And I feel like I get to know our Patreon members a lot better, which is always fun. Um, so definitely want to sign up because October 27th is just around the corner. So please sign up October 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern time is when it's going to happen. And again, what's the website? Patreon.com backslash Talking with Tech. Great news, everybody. We're going to be presenting a pre-conference workshop for Closing the Gap called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. This six-hour virtual workshop takes place over two days, October 7th and 8th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time on each day. This interactive workshop explores strategies for teaching students of all ages language by engineering environments so all communicators have opportunities for rich, meaningful practice in the context of everyday routines. Participants will get to explore how to design experiences using interactive technologies, which empower the student and their support network, putting them on the path to achieve their lifelong language goals. 
During the workshop, we're going to take an in-depth look at building the skills of communication partners through structured training centered on both consulting and coaching. We'll be sharing the latest tools and strategies for establishing a culture of language learning using AAC. Everybody loves engaging tools. You can sign up now by going to bit.ly slash design AAC. That's bit.ly slash design AAC. Can't wait to see you guys there. Oh, and there's one more thing to mention, Rachel. What's that, Chris? I'm actually doing two pre-conferences on those days. I'll be presenting with the other authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 book as well. The title of that pre-conference is Inclusive Learning 365, Breaking Down Barriers and Creating a Culture of Inclusivity by Design. That pre-conference is also on October 7th and October 8th, 2021, but it will be at 9 to 12 Central Time on those days. If you'd like to learn more about how to redesign educational experiences through an inclusive lens, then you can register for that pre-conference by going to bit.ly slash inclusivectg. That's bit.ly slash inclusivectg. Come spend the whole day with me. See you there. Katie uh, and Rachel, I think this goes right along with um, what Chris wrote as a question. It says, how, do, how to get all team members on board? And somebody wrote in the over next to it, it says, using the set process as a team. And I'm just curious, whoever wrote that, that wasn't you, Rachel. You didn't write that. No, I, I would have wrote that, but that was not me. I'd like to invite whoever wrote using the set process as a team, if you, if you feel comfortable, unmuting your... David, do you feel... Un do you feel comfortable unmuting your mic and talking about that for a second? Um, I think there might be people that listen or who are here right now that don't know what the set process is and what that whole thing kind of looks like. Hey, Chris. Um, the set process is basically a problem-solving approach where you consider the student, the environment, the um, task, and then finally the tools. Um, it comes together as a plan. I know the Wisconsin Assistive Technology Initiative always used to recommend having a team meeting, um, getting everybody together and taking some time to consider and go through that process. Uh, it can be very difficult because time is certainly an issue that's been magnified, especially during these COVID times, but it's an important process to go through or something similar to get that whole team on board. David, do you, based on what we are, our conversation here about Katie's question and what Chris wrote, um, do you see the set process as a way that might help get team members on board? And how so, if so? Um, I think it is, can be a way to get all team members on board because it clearly defines, um, I guess, what your target is, what you're chasing. Um, you develop a plan for implementation and trial. And um, I, I, but I think the major thing is you have all the, I guess, IEP team or the team players there investing in um, the technology for the child. I also think too, David, is you, you, you said it perfectly. You have the whole team there, which doesn't always happen. Um, so it's nice when you have that round table discussion. And I find that when people are up, feel like they're a part of the decision, 
they are more invested. Um, instead of, you know, having an AAC specialist do an assessment, you know, give recommendations and say, well, here's the device. Here's the device that I think is the best one. Um, when you create a team dynamic with a set framework, you are really telling the team, I value your input. I value you as part of this team and the decision that we can come to collectively to figure out what technology would be good for a student, um, which I think is one of the huge values of it. So let me bring that back to a follow-up question for Katie then. Katie, and again, if you feel comfortable, we'd like to invite you to come on to the podcast, um, onto the, the webinar by unmuting your mic. And, and if not, just put it in the chat. But the question that we had, the follow-up question I have for you is, what does the what does the process of onboarding an AAC device look like now? Meaning, um, how does a kid get an AAC? How is that even considered for a student in your neck of the woods? Well, with these specific students, what happens? They're using PECs, and the student plateaus or stalls out, and then the team reaches out to me and asks for maybe to try an AAC device trial. So they wait for PECs to fail even before considering doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie, do you know, do they have any success stories? Like, do you know what I mean? Like where kids, yeah, they, they succeeded with PECs. So therefore we're going to keep using it. What I see, the kids that they label as succeeding with PECs are kids that had some verbal language to begin with and PECs just kind of helped them get the idea of, oh, I have to initiate and talk to another person. And so they, those kids get that really quickly and then their communication develops really, really quickly after that. And so teams are like, wow, PECs really works. We should do it for every kid. And then like the, the other 90% of the kids that they serve PECs does not work well for. Right, right. And so I'm trying to get more teams on board with, you know, universal core and, and modeling. And even if they're still doing PECs as well, but just to start introducing some core and I still get a lot of resistance. Another thing, Katie, that I, 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 this is a conversation I have with a lot of people on um, teams, typically like parents are like, can you come to this meeting? And then it's just me like basically trying to fight for high tech AAC. <laughs> so a, a lot of what I do is I talk about how the, the, I talk about two different things. One, we can't build sentences with fringe. And, and typically I realize that there's like a sentence strip and all these things with pecs, but typically it's very limited. And so I start with, we can only, we can't build sentences without core words. Um, and then the follow-up, cause some people are like, but the sentence strip, <laughs> you can build sentences with pecs. Um, and, and it's, it's really important to kind of like talk about the power of core um, and think about that, like through that lens, because I think some people just, they assume like, oh, well, he can say, I want cookie, um, but don't, but don't realize that the language isn't flexible. Um, and so I think that that's something that I typically will uh 
mention um, during the team meetings that I have is that, you know, we can't build sentences with core and even if we can or with a uh, PEX, and even if we can, um, oftentimes they're very script based and they're not flexible. They're not spontaneous and they're just memorized, especially with students with autism um, in certain contexts. And so we don't have a lot of flexibility with PEX um, the same way that we do with core. Tanya and Katie, do you have any champions, meaning are there any teachers that you work with that have listened and have been like, I do presume potential. I do use an AAC device as my, um, as a tier one strategy, like an initial strategy and look at the results. Is there someone that you can point them to uh, that is that are their peers that can be a voice besides the two of you, you know? Um, for me specifically, it's a little harder because I'm a consultant with 22 different school districts. So some districts really get it. And I'm, and I try to say like, oh, this district over here is doing core and this is what they've implemented. And then some are really resistant. And so finding someone in a district that is resistant is kind of tricky. Finding one person that will embrace it has been a little challenging, but I like that idea of finding the, the bright spots. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other thing too that I mention is the pragmatic functions. So oftentimes when you're working with students with PECs, it's very heavy on requesting. And so, you know, it's really, we use language for so many other reasons. And so oftentimes when you kind of show people like, wow, he like, and, and sometimes I'll do this just by data collection. I'll say like, let me do an observation. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I'll break it down. I'm like, what did they say? How, what was the prompting level? And then part of that is what was the pragmatic function? I'm like, well, they're only using language for requesting. You know, we could, we need to teach them how to ask questions and answer questions and comment and, you know, do all of these things outside of just requesting. And so sometimes that's like an aha moment for team members. Like, oh, you're right. Um, you know, and the idea of like a child giving a PEX picture for like a comment just doesn't feel, doesn't feel like it would, it would work. Um, so that could be another strategy that you use. ATC SELPA, you write, uh, that they write, we are working on reaching out to those teachers who are expressing interest and excitement about AAC and teaching language and literacy. Again, we'd like to invite you to come on the, 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 the uh, turn on your mic if you'd like. Can you? Oh, it's Tanya. Okay. <laughs> oh, hey, Tanya. Tanya, could, what does reaching out look like? Can you describe that a little bit? What does that mean? Yeah, so I think we're looking for teams specifically a classroom classroom teachers that we can offer some train further training to um, to get excited and on board about presuming potential in all their students um, i also serve multiple school districts and so um, finding those teams in 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 the various school districts um, we've also talked about kind of developing like a model teaching program again, where, where those are the people that are excited about and, and open to rolling out some, some more um, strategies and uses of technology within their curriculum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. 
challenging. (laughs) The other thing too, Tanya is perhaps figuring out a way to be, um, to systematically support AAC um, and really figuring out ways that all, you know, all the classrooms can have, you know, visual supports and uh, core words and things like that um, could be another potential strategy, um, you know, making kind of embedding it into the things that the teachers are doing, um, which I'm sure you probably have thought about, but um, having like a core word of the week. And of course, like there needs to be a foundational understanding of like, what is a core word and why is it important? Um, Um, But that could be a good idea to try to get it to be more systematic. Yeah, this is something else that we're working on is trying to roll out more systematic trainings within whole classrooms rather than just addressing needs for individual students. Totally. Exactly. And that's where you can really make a huge impact if we're thinking not about what Johnny needs specifically, but really what can we do to support the teacher that really trickles down to all the students in her classroom. Um, So yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Great ideas. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Does anyone else want to say or have other ideas in this sort of camp, or should I move on to the next question? What do you think? Rachel, any ideas or anyone? I think we can move on to the next one. All right. So the next question is from Anonymous. And Anonymous writes, other than continuously modeling how to begin to engage kids that seem to only be motivated to get away from you and have you leave, have no interest in their device, and don't really ever look at it. There is a solution someone wrote, um, try bringing a toy object that the child has never seen before. I get weird items at the Dollar Tree, like Cthulhu. Um, They didn't write that, I added that in. (laughs) Um, When I play near the child or with the other students, sometimes it entices them over because they get curious. I, yeah, that's what they didn't write that, but I'm adding that in, it seems like they get curious. Sometimes you just have to be near them in their space for a little while. They might need to see that you are fun and not going to make them work. I love this. I love this because it kind of touches on a point of like, I feel like some kids have like PTSD with like therapists and teachers because they're so used to just like being forced to do all these things that they don't want to do. And so I think um, whoever put this solution, I love it. Um, I think you're exactly right. Like there's ways that we can tempt kids. Like let's not forget about what we learned in graduate school about communication temptations, right? Like we can put things in boxes and build anticipation participation for things. Um, and I love the idea of weird. See how that, that describing word, that's the kinds of things we talk about. Weird, interesting, funny, unusual. Um, and so I think that's exactly right to build that kind of excitement around something. Um, the other thing that jumped into my head while I'm, while I'm on the mic, um, is making sure that the students haven't functional way to protest. So sometimes you're right. Kids are most motivated by not doing whatever it is that you want them to do. Um, And so if they see the power of using language to tell you to stop or to say, go away or something like that, it can be really motivating for kids to now have a way to functionally communicate what they were showing you with their their actions. Um, And so think about how can you get kids protesting or, you know, saying, saying things that really serve their current level of motivation, um, even if it means they want to run away from you. (laughs) I'll add too, before inviting other people on here, as they formulate their thoughts, that all day long, I think many kids get 
bossed, <laughs> told what to do. Um, the expectation is you, I'm in charge as the adults and you are not kid. You do what I say. Um, and that can be really off-putting. What kids don't get very frequently is the opportunity to control their environment and so, or control the other people in their environment or tell other people what to do. So I think that's sort of get what you're getting at there, Rachel, is that, okay, you told me to leave. I'm going to leave. You know, you told me to dance. I'm going to dance. You know, um, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to put you in control so that you can command me and for, and, and make me force me, um, have me, uh, do things. And I'll listen to you. I think that's one strategy. The second one is, I, again, I think this, there's nothing wrong with continuously modeling. Like, I'm just going to sit next to you and I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to have absolutely no expectation that you do anything. I may, every once in a while, I'll just like lead the device towards you if you want to use it. And I can go through this prompt hierarchy if I wanted to. But I might just start with a kid that's specific, like this resistant. Is the, I, No expectation. I'm just going to sit next to you and watch me use it. And it's okay to continuously model. I'll kind of piggyback on that. I think it's really important to be in very regular communication with parents to figure out what kids are actually motivated and interested by. Um, I think we do this in the initial stages of, of learning about a student, but these things change. I have students who it's like one week they're really into pipe cleaners and the next week they're like, nah, I'm done with that. I'm into something else. And so I think that constantly doing kind of a preference assessment to find those things that are really, really motivating and perhaps even having parents send in, you know, a specific toy or book or whatever it might be, because it sounds like for, you know, this student in particular, that there's a lot of resistance to any type of communication. And so I would start with highly motivating things, um, you know, perhaps not focusing on core words initially and focusing on the, that those core core uh, or the personal fringe, um, those really motivating words um, to see if you can just get some type of interaction um, with something that you know for a fact that a student's really motivated by. Anyone have other ideas here? Wanna pop on the mic and talk about this? I'm going to share what Katie wrote in the chat, which was, I engaged a student with a rubber dish scrubber for 20 minutes, Dollar Tree for the win. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. It's novel. Um, it's not something that kids usually like are given as something to play with. Um, I love that, Katie. Just curious, Katie, was it you that wrote this comment or someone else? I get weird items at the Dollar Tree. What are some other items people have purchased or used? What are what are some other off-the-wall sort of things we've done to engage and empower kids with uh, language? Again, that inspire don't require conversation. Katie? Yes, it was me. Um, I have also bought um, at the Dollar Tree like stacking, like cups that you can use for stacking. And then we use a toy to knock them over. Um, I have bought things that are just weird shapes, weird textures. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, like I don't a know. Squid? Like a squid <laughs> yeah. face monster? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I just find weird stuff that I know kids probably haven't seen before or on mm -hmm. a regular basis. And, you know, just bring it and try to find out different ways to use it and engage them that way. I love the, I love the cup idea. What kid doesn't like destruction? <laughs> I feel like that's so fun to just be like, Psh, I can just like imagine all the cups like going everywhere. 
Totally. And, and to get the buy-in of the students, sometimes if I know that they have like a favorite character or something, I'll get some stickers of that character and put them on the cups. Yep. So it's even one more little engaging thing. Love it. It's, and it doesn't have to be crazy expensive. It can be so simple like yeah. cups. <laughs> I think something else that really works is um, breaking the routine. So anything you know, school and the day can be so structured for students. Um, and anything that breaks that structure and breaks that routine makes it like something to talk about, you know? So, you know, the classic ideas are, you know, you come in and um, the chairs are missing, you know? Uh, now some kids won't care about that, but others might, you know? Um, whatever the routine is, if you break it and do something different, that, spear, that spurs curiosity. And I'll also add, my very first professor in undergrad, his name was John Onyafrak. Um, I wish I could find that guy someplace. He is the best. He is the one who totally inspired me to, to, to not be a weather uh, person, Rachel, but to be a, 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 an SLP. And he said, when one of the very first classes, he said, the speech language pathologist should be the wackiest person in the building. You're like, everyone should know who that person is. They should be wearing the, the weird outfits. They should be doing the, like, why is that person laying in the middle of the floor, you know, spinning around on their butt? You know, like, why are they doing these weird things? Oh, that's just Mr. B, you know, that's how he is because it's fun, right? You find the fun, right, Tracy? Yeah. So this is a fun conversation. What, what have you done, Tracy, to find the fun? What are some examples? I said, Tracy, Tanya. Sorry, I meant Tanya. <laughs> Tanya said, find the. Um, so I, um, I'm an AT specialist and a speech language pathologist, and I also am an early start provider. And so I feel like coming in with that early start background and I, I still see children early start. It's all about play because like two-year-olds are not going to sit and I'm not, I, I'm never going to do drill and practice with them. That's just not how I do speech mm -hmm. with, with, and so I feel like sometimes we forget that piece when we, when they turn three, oh, now we're, now we're doing academics, right? So it's like still find the fun. I mean, I just do, you know, put something on your head and pretend to sneeze or, you know, mm -hmm. knock something over or, you know, make silly sounds. Um, and I love, you know, having kids tell you what to do with their devices because they don't get to do that or with their, their, um, their objects, they're not objects, but their um, symbols. Um, yeah, just follow their lead and play. That's, I mean, because that's what we do as early start providers is we, we mm -hmm. follow their lead. Um, and so we find anything they're interested in, a spoon, a cup, like it's just yeah. so random. Um, just, I agree, just be the silliest person in the room and it, it will get attention. <laughs> It'll get you a look. <laughs> sometimes from everybody, but the, the, you know, if you get it from the child, that's, that's what you need and what you want. So I'm really curious, Tanya. So you have a really unique experience with the early intervention and the AAC AT piece. So are you um, working with students in early intervention who also you're doing work with AAC? I do see some students with um, AAC and complex communication needs, um, and I I um, I see children with just a speech need. So I see kind of a variety. I see children who are not yet diagnosed, but are probably going to be diagnosed mm -hmm. with being on the spectrum. So I see kind of a variety of kids um, from very complex to 
um, you know, just a kind of a speech delay. So, yeah. And I feel like it's such a unique perspective because I think that generally in our field, there's this idea that, um, or this hesitation, I should say, to introduce AAC to our early intervention kids. Um, you know, aside from having a diagnosis where we know that, you know, speech is going to be um, complex, perhaps. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, Chris and I just actually were recording a podcast uh, earlier today about um, just the, the the struggle with when parents don't want um, to embrace AAC. It's kind of like viewed as this last resort. Like, well, like no, we're still waiting for speech to come. Um, so I think you have a really unique perspective. I'm curious, um, just because of your perspective, if there's any strategies that you have for how to have conversations like that with family where you and your clinical, you know, gut is telling you like, ah, like we need to start AAC with this kid. Um, but parents are a little bit hesitant because they want to focus on speech. Yeah, it is a big issue. Yeah. (laughs) It's always a, a hard question. Um, but as I've, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. So the longer I've been in it, the more, um, I, I won't say forceful because I tend to be pretty gentle about introducing um, the idea that what I usually do is say, while we're working on speech, we want to give your child another way to communicate. Um, yeah. And here is the way to do that. And most parents have embraced it when I frame it that way. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I used to be pretty reluctant to kind of introduce this because they are really still in that place where they, and and I don't know, I never limit a child to say your child is, you know, has, is not going to be a verbal communicator. Um, but I say, you know, while we're still working on this, we need to help your child communicate. Um, and so most parents are pretty open to it and I have gotten much more, um, gone through some of the project core information and really decided we just need to introduce this early. And I feel like if we can introduce it when they're two, that then when they come into the schools, they already come in with it. Um, So then it's not a question of, should we give this child technology? It's, oh, (laughs) they're using technology or a core board. Now we need to incorporate this into um, our educational um, setting as well. So yeah, I've, I've, come a little ways with this, this process, but yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. And I find that it's kind of, um, sometimes the conversations are a little uncomfortable, um, just because you don't want to, like you said, you don't ever limit a child's potential. We don't know if a child will be a verbal communicator or not. Um, but we want to make sure that we're continuing to build those language skills. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I know that was no one asked that question. That was my question. If I had to put one into the forum, it would be that one. Um, cause I was like, Ooh, like my ears perked up when you were like AAC and early intervention. I'm like, ah, I need to ask Tanya what like her strategies would be because it's it's a hard conversation. Yeah, it is a hard conversation. And there's not a lot out there directly looking at the birth to three population Mm -hmm. um, with really practical kind of, here's how you do it. Cause I'm in the home. I go to their house. Well, not right now, but right. (laughs) My normal life. um, I go to people's houses and sit on their floors. And so um, how do we start there? Um, So I'm excited to hear your podcast about it too. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Chris, should we do, we have one more question, right? 
Before we go there, I want to read off what Mitch wrote in the chat. Mitch wrote, I've worked with middle and high school kids and often will make connections with them regarding video games. Then they open up. And Mitch, just so you know what I wrote down there, I wrote, I don't know, Mitch, that sounds sus. The reason I wrote that, Mitch, is because sus is from a video game. Among Us is uh, is popping off right now. And that's exactly how we talk about the same thing, is that video games are what kids into. Maybe you should learn what those video games are so you can talk to them about them, you know, and meet them where they are rather than talk about something that's interesting to nobody or to you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> No, I agree. I, uh, after, uh, has that podcast episode aired yet, Chris, the one where you teach me all about among us? It wasn't me that taught you. And yes, that was, that's right. You're right. (laughs) Well, I've been using that with a, with a student of mine and he thinks like now he's like so excited. He's asking for speech with me. He's like, when speech with Rachel, (laughs) Oh, that's because we play video games and talk about them. Mitch, real quick, will you put it in the in the chat? What other video games do you or come on, come on, Mike, too, if you'd like. What video games have you used that have like, oh, we talk about this, we talk about that? What are some tools out there that are kind of hip right now with the kids? Um, I have kept it very school appropriate with like Minecraft and um Roblox, stuff like that. And then when they start to go into Fortnite and Call of Duty, <laughs> you then do the careful, delicate dance around um, what's school appropriate and what's not. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And that's a, it's a great like teaching lesson too, right? It's like talking about those things. I have so many kids that love all those games, Mitch. So I'm happy that you yeah. shared that. <laughs> yeah. And Mitch, don't you find there's so much you can do with Minecraft and roadblocks? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and it, you know, I've thought about, didn't quite get there because I've moved into assistive technology, but, um, you know, incorporating that into a, a lesson, um, the Minecraft or the Roblox, more so the Minecraft, because um, you can incorporate that into a daily lesson, which then really engages the kids um, and gets them paying attention to it. I find too, Mitch, that the telepractice has actually been such a great way to get kids communicating. I'll pull up their favorite video game and then they have to tell me what they want to see happen. And, you know, before it was like, I would pull out my iPad and, you know, it would be a tug of war. Like a kid would be like, no, I want to play with it. Give it to me. But now it's like, they have to use language to describe what they want to see happen. Um, and yeah. then of course I like use my SLP tricks of like sabotage and all these fun strategies. Um, so telepractice has actually been great in that respect because, you know, kids, and sometimes you can see their little fingers, like trying to like touch the screen and I'm like, no, you got to tell me, use your words. Um, so that's been really nice. I can't remember the name of it right now, but there's a website that you can go and it will prompt kids to like geography. It'll show a picture of, you know, Paris and they'll have four choices that they have to choose from. And um, it really gets the kids talking amongst each other because they can get on and vote through a Chromebook or an iPad or an iPhone that they may have, um, which then really engages them through that and um, gets them to open up. You, you know, you know what else is really great for middle and high school students, Mitch, is um, Google Earth has a ton of really interactive, engaging tools. Like it, 
I like was doing a presentation actually with Lauren Enders for AAC in the cloud. And I like, I spent like hours. I like went down a rabbit hole of Google earth. Um, and I was like, this would be so great for like middle and high school students, just because it's sometimes hard to find, um, you know, materials that are, you know, respectful and sensitive, um, while being engaging. So definitely check out Google earth because a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. I have actually used that before, um, because, I live up in Alaska, so kids don't really travel outside of Alaska. So for history and geography, I'd take them to that spot um, like Paris and show them the Eiffel Tower, something that they typically wouldn't be able to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like a virtual field trip. I love it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing. You bet. There's one question left, and it is from Gary, who I think had to bug out early. So when he listens to the podcast, we're like, hey, Gary, you, you, you listen. We, we answered. We answered. <laughs> so here it was. Shocker. But given the hybrid model of learning today and a lot of substitute slash revolving door staff, we're struggling with getting consistency in training staff to help students with complex needs on their devices. Any thoughts? Oh, man, do I have thoughts. <laughs> Someone added to the spreadsheet, that's tough. We record short videos, five minutes or less on one topic. For example, the prompting hierarchy and have staff watch them before students arrive. You could prioritize the most important topics and break them into short videos. I feel like whoever wrote this is a kindred spirit of mine because I love using videos. Um, I think short and sweet fits the bill. And I think that you can say so much in a video that would take a long time to write in an email or any type of written communication. Um, and I just love this idea and this strategy. Um, I even recommend that to, um, to parents who are constantly having new therapists, teachers, ABA therapists, all the things, um, just kind of doing a short little video, like, here's what you need to know. Um, here's what my child likes, doesn't like, here's some, me any medical things that are going on. So I think there's lots of ways that you can really be strategic about videos and, um, teaching in a way that's not so overwhelming and daunting, like saying you need a training, uh, before you work with this kid. It's like, no, just watch this video, like this short little video. Other people have thoughts here? I'm curious what other people have to say. I love the notion that it's five minute videos, five minutes or less. I think that um, uh, a rule of thumb of mine for years now has been eight is enough. And yeah, it, it really, it's eight is too much. You know, yeah. I think the first thing, if anyone sends you, when uh, you posted, Rachel, that video, that Gail Van Tate no video in the, in the, uh, um, in the spreadsheet here, people are going to click on that link. And the first thing they're going to do, their eyes will go to how much time is it? You know what I mean? Like how True. long is this video? It's the first thing we look at. Um, and so keeping it short, I think is, is important. Um, taking us full circle back to, uh, Tanya, not Tracy and, uh, Katie, uh, Katie's question and Chris's question is, is, these team members, when we find the champions and we get these teams on board and we moved it, move the needle for them. And they've started, we've actually seen that they moved away from packs and they've moved to, to more robot, like something, a barrier that you're going to run into, because I know I've run into it and I bet you other people have too, is the fact, and it's what Gary's getting at here, is that there's a, uh, a lot of substitute slash revolving door staff. 
I don't actually think that's new because of um, COVID. I think we've had an awesome, um, we've had a, um, there's been a shortage in teaching for a long time. And there's a lot of people that don't stay. There's even a higher rate of people that had higher turnover rate for special education than general education, which is why um, I think we need to spend more time educating our general ed teachers and our peers, um, spending time with training those people, you know, and these short little videos will help do that. And we don't have enough time to go into it, um, Rachel, but the other aspect that I think is important is, is training is only one element to success. We can share the videos, we can have them take courses, they can either asynchronous courses or, you know, come to a live presentation. Um, that's all one important. They can have them listen to the podcast. There's the training, but then there's another component. You know what I'm going to say, Rachel? I know what you're going to say, Chris. What? You're going to say coaching. Going to say coaching. Okay? You need coaching. You need someone to reflect on those moments after the fact um, to, that, that helps you, helps you then uh, internalize those. And I think this is a theory of mine. If we were to coach staff, um, not just train them, we'll see them stick around longer. We'll have less turnover. They'll feel greater job satisfaction. They'll feel that support if they have a coach. Um, and so I know that's a heavy lift there, Katie and Tanya, and those of you that are supporting many, many schools. Um, but I feel like that's the direction we have to try and figure out is how do I, how do we, how do we meet with people after the fact and ask them reflective questions on the experiences they had around the training elements that we provided? Love it. You know, I love talking about coaching, Chris. We have a whole course on coaching, Chris and I. Any other ideas? That is a great suggestion. The pairs love to be in charge of an aspect of tech. Yes. Yes. Mitch couldn't agree more. Paraprofessionals, teaching them, training them, and they might stick around longer. And of course, the people that to, to train the most, going back to that early intervention model, is if we could coach the families. Those are the, those. They're not the revolving door. You know, they're the ones who are going to stick it out with this, the students. Um, Love it, Rachel. There's only three minutes left. How do we finish this great conversation? I think, right? I mean, it's yeah. You're right. Wow, this flew by. Yeah, Becky. I thought maybe we could just go in a couple extra hours here if people wanted to, but uh, I think we have to wrap it up. Is there any any final thoughts or questions you want to pose in there? Um, please put them in now. Um, otherwise we will be able to find this podcast when it airs is at, uh, talkingwithtech.org. Um, I'll put else, it in the them? chat. Yeah, I'll put it in the chat, talkingwithtech.org. Yeah. We would love if you subscribe to the podcast, cause that way you'll be updated whenever we've released new episodes and, um, really excited to, to air this one and definitely put any links that you think are relevant in the spreadsheet just because it's a great uh, resource that you guys can go back to. You also can um, click on the other ones if you want to read and learn. Um, this is a comprehensive document that's only gonna keep getting even more full. We have two Talking With Tech Lives next week. So um, we're really excited that you guys were able to come today and share this experience. We really value your clinical experience and insight. And um, Chris and I are really energized by these types of talks that we do because we really can learn from each other um, by having conversations like this, brainstorming, troubleshooting together. So we're really happy that you guys were able to, to join us today.
And thank you all for participating and putting your stuff in the uh, spreadsheet and for coming on mic and being part of the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Bye. See you guys. Bye.